episode two with Tom Burrell, president of the Black Farmers and Agriculturalists Association, we discussed how the platform of opportunity is indispensable. Here, in episode three, Tom dives into the history of farmland owned by African Americans and his advocacy for landowners' opportunity today. I'm Joey Bland, and from Circle O Productions, this is Seasons. So, Mr. Burrell, as we transition, I want to talk about the Black Farmers and Agriculturalists Association that you have formed. I think around uh, 2002, if I, if I remember correctly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Y'all been going since then. And uh, talk a little bit about the mission of BFAA and, and what, the, what the purpose is of the organization that you founded. The Black Farmers and Agriculturalists Association, Joey, is an advocacy association. Uh, we advocate particularly for black farmers and landowners, and more specifically, absentee landowners, which is going to make up the majority of our members. And what we mean by absentee landowners, these are individuals who still have an interest in land, particularly in the South, but they moved away to Michigan. Uh, they moved to New York and to California and to Atlanta. And their parents and mom and dads and, ex- and grandparents have died. They still have an interest in the property. Mm-hmm. So we refer to them as absentee landowners. And in and around 1997, there was a class action lawsuit that where the Department of Agriculture acknowledged that it may not have given treatment, economically speaking, in the forms of loans and credit to African Americans to the Mm. extent that they did to other farmers. And this lack of credit may have uh, contributed to the loss of land that these individuals uh, that we talked about earlier, this 15 million acres. Mm -hmm. So after uh, and being involved so much in agriculture, I was kind of elected or asked to be the spoke per- spokesperson. And when I knew anything, I was speaking on behalf of a larger group. I've testified before Congress on several occasions and given testimony to federal judges, particularly at what we call listening sessions. Mm. And so we now have the Black Farmers and Agriculturalists Association, about twenty to 20,000 members. Wow. Most farmers now, we're down to uh, less than 10,000 black farmers. Hmm. According to USDA census figures and others, uh, Joy, in about 1920, 100 years ago, there were a million black farmers. Wow. One million. Wow. Today we're down to less than 10,000. Wow. And as I said earlier, uh, African Americans had acquired skills during slavery. They were plantation owners. They ran the plantation, Mm -hmm. but they were not allowed to own land. And after the passage of the 13th Amendment in 1865, Congress came back and said a year later that, well, it's not going to do these individuals any good just to allow them to be free, they ought to be able to own property. Mm. Property is what is 
in this country, one of the greatest sources of economic wealth. So they passed the Civil Rights Act of 1866. And to the extent that you would have uh, African-American families that had 12, 13, 14, 15 kids Mm -hmm. on the one hand, uh, and to the extent they were managing plantations on the other, they were a natural for being able to pay for land. Mm-hmm. Because keep in mind, at that point in time, unlike when I started farming in uh, 1975, capital, you needed money to buy a tractor. But back in the 1860s, mom and dad, no pun intended, produced the capital. Yeah, yeah. And next year, here come another little set of hands. So, and to the extent that cotton was the number one mm-hmm. most valuable commodity in agriculture at that point in time, African Americans were able to, uh, went, they went from zero in 1866 to 20 million acres, as it were, wow. uh, just 45 years later. Wow, 20 uh, million 20 acres. million acres. There are other reports, Joey, that, was, that state that between 1900 and 1910, African Americans purchased on a per capita basis roughly 8% more land than their white counterparts. Wow. So land ownership was very important in the African American community then. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, around 1910, for whatever reason, the interest in agriculture started to wane. People started moving away. They went to hither, they went to thither, they went to yon. And now they started to exit the agricultural community. Hmm. And keep in mind, even today, Joey, one of the primary bases for owning farmland is that you are, quote, unquote, a farmer. Mm-hmm. Okay, So the more you farm, the more land you accumulate. So when you stop farming, it makes sense that you're going to lose the property that was associated and predicated upon that industry, that is to say farming. Right. So today we represent these individuals, and uh, as we said, they live in various places of the country. Uh, so we represent them now and advocating, as I said, a lot of them now want to come back to farming, particularly their grandchildren. Hmm. One of the things, though, and we have to be real honest uh uh, in our community, at least, is that for whatever reason, agriculture had a misplaced aggression. Mm-hmm. So we remember the we remember the bad times. Okay, yep. one I'm a student of a person called Booker T. Washington. Sure, and Booker T. Washington said something. I think it was 1885 in Atlanta, Georgia. Among other things, he said, "Nor should we allow our grievances." or permit our grievances to overshadow our opportunities. Hmm. But what happened in the African-American community, we focused more on the grievance side. Hmm. We focused more on the sharecropping side. We focused a lot on what I didn't get, what was taken from me, what was X, what was Y, what was Z, and we lost sight on the opportunities in agriculture. Our exiting the agricultural industry didn't take away from the value of agriculture. Agricultural land is as worth as much more today as it was as it was there. But somehow our community teaching, 
Uh, not that I'm blaming the black leadership of the black church, but we allowed individuals to exit the farm without focusing on improving the conditions mm. that would have been necessary to maintain them on the farm. We didn't advocate. We didn't. There was no advocacy organizations in the 40s or the 50s that dealt specifically with the problems that were unique in the African-American community as it related to agriculture. Mm. We focused on more or less accommodation issues. So when we talk about the Civil Rights Act of 1866, mm -hmm. there was more focus on being sitting next to someone, being able to sit next to someone than it was to make a dollar in a factory or a farm. Mm. So we kind of chose mm -hmm. to go the accommodation route and left the economic development component uh, alone, as it were. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. What amazing numbers to know that that uh, African Americans basically went from zero ownership to 20 million acres. And then, as you said, today, that number is about 5 million acres. Yes. And, and, and overall, whether it's African Americans or anyone the number of farmers has dropped drastically Precisely. and the average age i hear different average ages for the farmer from you know early to mid 60s to 70 years old but wherever it is it's somewhere in that range it's in that range it's about 60 to 70 let's just say it's 75 yeah but keep in mind uh, uh most and this is the problem again to the extent now that those individuals are not there the surrogates to our earlier point, if the surrogates are not there, now when this next generation, this third generation of young African-Americans who are saying, wait a minute, I'm going to leave Detroit. I'm leaving New York. I'm leaving L.A. I'm going back to Tennessee. I'm going back to Georgia. And I love to get into agriculture. Mm -hmm. But where are the surrogates? Right. The land is available to them. But that expertise, Uncle Joe, is not available. Yeah. We didn't advocate to make sure that Uncle Joe survived. Yeah. So we allowed the Uncle Joes, the granddads and the grandmoms, to just, for whatever reason, to be dissipated. And now we realize that that value, those principles that we talked about earlier, that were passed down to these individuals, African-Americans, all the way back to Africa, Joey. Mm. So they had this ability to grow. Mm -hmm. They had this intuitive uh, capability of understanding trends of nature and, and statistics, even though they didn't understand statistics. As I said about my uncle, he was not a statistician, mm -hmm. but he had that farmer's almanac in his back pocket. Mm -hmm. And he just knew what day to plant, what not to plant. They had yeah. this plethora of knowledge that had been handed down yeah. and to the extent that they had these large families that was a beautiful cocktail mm -hmm. so now cotton is the number one industry uh you got these individuals with the capability and that explains mm -hmm. how and why they acquired as many acres of land mm -hmm. but unfortunately the philosophy as we said earlier, Joey, in the community changed, and consequently the land ownership started to decline. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and 
I've come across this a little bit in my business as a broker of properties that have what is referred to as cloud on their title, meaning that the ownership of it is is not clearly stated and there's not a written history. I, I had one down in Quitman County, Mississippi, where uh, the closing attorney literally had to go and interview people to get an oral history because the, the right documents had not been filed over the years, you know, as people died. And, as, and I know that BFAA is really trying to make an impact in this area with, with these families that, that are heirs to property that has been in the family for three, four, five, six generations, but yet there hasn't always been a will or there hasn't been a way that it's been passed I guess you would say legally with the legal documents, but y'all, y'all, that's something that's really on your um, uh, agenda, right? Of of trying to address this issue so that people can really realize the asset that they have as a family. Yes, as a matter of fact, our property, as you amply stated, is another area that we are focusing on, uh, particularly in light of the fact, Joey that if you look at the last 25 or 30 years, not only are young African-Americans moving back south, but corporations are moving back south. Uh, when we look at over the last 25 or 30 years, there are probably 15 major automobile manufacturers now moving to Alabama and Tennessee and Kentucky. Amazing. And... Uh, 30, I'm sorry, 70 years ago, Joey, as I said earlier, uh, black folk would leave the cotton fields going to Detroit in the 50s and 60s. Now Detroit is moving back literally to the <laughs> cotton fields of the South. Yeah. Okay? yeah. So keep in mind, these corporations now are moving literally, Joey, across the fence, as it were, from black landowners. But unfortunately, to the point that you just made, a lot of that land is owned as air property and inherent in that there are clouds and defects on the title. Mm. The original owner died. Uncle Joe died. Granddaddy died. Grandma died uh, 50, 60, 70 years ago. And unfortunately, they died without wills. Mm -hmm. They didn't understand the importance of a will. Right. They thought that if I say, hey, okay, okay, Frank, you get this piece. Tom, you get this piece. Joey, this is your piece. They thought that was all that was necessary. Right. Unfortunately, state law says no, mm. that when you die without a will, and I think the attorneys use the phrase intestate, mm -hmm. the state is going to determine basically who owns the property uh, invariably. Uh, will have that authority. We use the analogy in some of our meetings, Joey, that owning property, uh, air property, is like driving through the rural. And you see a sign that will say, Turkey Creek, mm -hmm. unincorporated. Yeah. Turkey Creek is a town that has beautiful houses, churches, a store, etc., but it is ungoverned. It is unincorporated. Mm -hmm. You don't have a mayor. You don't have a city council. You don't have a governing body. Right. Most of the land, 99% 
of the 5 million acres that are still owned in the African-American community, Joey, are like the Turkey Creek, the Source Creek. Mm. It's unincorporated. There are no governing bodies. So what we're asking our members to consider, and there are other legal forms that attorneys might recommend, but just for the sake of illustration, we're asking those family members to incorporate in order to collaborate. Uh, probably the most, shall we say, pronounced opportunity here in West Tennessee is going to be the Ford uh, Motor Corporation in Stanton, Tennessee, i.e. Right. Haywood County. Right. The huge Ford project. Mo- huge project. We're told that it is perhaps the largest automobile assembly plant in the country. Mm. Uh, I worked for the automobile industry, as we said earlier, back in the 50s, and I mean, back in the 60s and the 70s. Right. And you could take all of the automobile plants probably in Flint, Michigan, and Saginaw, Michigan, and put them on once that this 4,000 acres. Wow. 4, so for one corporation now yeah. Yeah. to have a corporate, to have a footprint of 4,000 acres, that is humongous. Yeah. When Henry Ford, if I could digress just a little bit, when he purchased the River Rouge plant, I think back in 1920 or something, it was only 600 acres. Wow. And that was considered the, shall we say, the best model of the automobile industry. But to your point earlier, now you got these major corporations literally moving back across the fence mm-hmm. from individuals who own land, but the land is, the titles are, as you said, cloudy and defective. Ford is not going to put a defective part on their vehicle, at least intentionally. Yeah. And you're not going to buy a car with a defective part. Right. So what we're telling our members is if you've got defects on that title, you need to clean it up. Because it's going to be hard for you to participate with these suppliers, uh, particularly people looking for hotel space, restaurants, uh, uh, apartments, complexes, residential complexes, warehouses, if there's a cloud on your title. So we're asking them to consider incorporating to identify those owners. But unfortunately, again, uh, historically, this has been a taboo subject mm. in the African-American community. Mm. I've known family members who would say, we're not going to talk about it. Yeah. We're telling our members now, no, you got to talk about it. Yeah. You cannot. If you love your grandchildren, don't leave this cloud on the title for them to solve. Because every generation is like rings on a tree. Uh, the, 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 shall we say, ownership the number of acres doesn't increase. The the pie doesn't increase. The slices decrease. Right. So if the sisters and brothers can't solve the problem, the children and the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren are going to have an even uh, more difficult time trying right. to solve a problem that we left for them unsolved. Yeah. They're just inheriting it, and it's getting increasingly more difficult because of how many more people are getting involved. Precisely. And, and so to your point, like, that just is amazing. It's almost mind-boggling that the the Blue Oval, as it's referred to, will be 4,000 acres. But to your point, along with that are suppliers that are going to be supplying that. There's going to be restaurants because you're going to have 
how many thousands of employees on that site? There are going to be hotels because how many people will come and visit that place? There's, there's all these residual effects that are going to happen to surrounding landowners. And if you don't have a clean title to where you can really market and sell your land, then you may be left out of the, out of the party in essence, right? You will be left out because here again, who is going to do business with a person with a clout or a defect on their title? Right. Uh, it's not a question of whether they want to do. It's, it's not, and I have to say this, speaking honestly, even to members of the African-American community, that's not discrimination, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, nobody's going to buy your property and try to build a hotel, a restaurant, or any other, as you said, residual or collateral benefit Mm -hmm. until you solve this problem. Mm -hmm. And when you look at that 4,000 acres, it is smack dab in the middle of communities where you have a lot of African-Americans, Joey, owning thousands of acres. But this is not unique just to Tennessee. We're telling our members now in Alabama and North Carolina, it's time for us to have this conversation. Right. Uh, these corporations are bringing economic wealth. Uh, they've taken the black farmers now potentially out of the cotton business to put them into the car business. I'm a farmer, so I'm not anti-cotton. Don't get me wrong. I think I, right. I demonstrated that very well, my love for agriculture. But at the same time, we have to know when, as Dr. Booker T. Washington would say, you got to know this is another opportunity. Right. So when, and I think that project in Haywood County started off as a $5.6 billion program. And now with the Biden administration allowing Ford to have another $9.2 billion spread between this facility and the one up in Kentucky, we're told that this facility here now in Haywood County is an $11 billion project, Joey. So the ability to create generational wealth by being able to develop whatever property that's remaining. We know that there are some eminent domain issues. Our position is, well, is eminent domain a liability or is it an asset? So if I have 100 acres on the one hand, and the state needs 20 to develop a f- brand-new four-lane highway, they just did me a favor, as it were. Now, sure, we want to mm-hmm. make sure we have adequate value for the property. Right, right. But what did you do for the remaining 80 acres that I have? You've just put me, as the kids on the street would say, Joey, on Front Street. Yeah. So now, uh, with a brand-new four-lane highway, that means, and we're telling our uh, members of our community, uh, now you can develop that property, and you can uh, develop the service station, the warehouse, the et cetera, et cetera, going to another level of economic development and partnering with these corporations. Yeah. So we're saying don't look at yourself as a victim if you clean up this property, now you can become a, pro- a partner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what we're advocating. Yeah, yeah. And land is such a wealth builder. 
can be in situations like this. You mentioned the word opportunity several times. Can be a generational wealth builder uh, when you have a project like this going on. If you've got a large piece of land, so I, I just I think that's um, really interesting how y'all are trying to educate people, trying to bring them along to see um, the benefits that are out there if you take these steps and trying to help them. Like you said, it's about advocacy and it's about advocating what what they could really benefit from. And I think that's, uh, I think that's a great calling for the BFAA and uh, I'm glad people are able to hear about that. Well, we appreciate you for that. And that's basically one of the major platforms now that BFAA is taking uh, under its wing, and that is to help these families, these landowners. And we are told that, as I said earlier, over the last 160 years, the African-American community, there are reports that that say uh, that we've lost over $320 billion Wow. from that 15 billion acres that's lost. Right. right now, we are told that there's still about $40 billion in this community. But as we said earlier, that $40 billion is like locked up in a vault. Mm-hmm. Okay. In other words, grandma, granddad, when they passed the land down, it was basically paid for. Yep. But we can't access it now. Yep. It's not accessible. Yep. The bank's not going to make you a loan uh, because of that cloud on the title. So you've got these assets that are basically paid for, but for the marketability and uh, of that land, i.e. these clouds on the title, uh, that generational wealth, this is a great opportunity to continue to create that generational wealth mm-hmm. for this community. Yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate your time in, in one, telling your story, which I think is very interesting, your your. Um, service to the country, uh, your uh, really aspiring career in the auto industry, only to be called back to the farm, because that's really where your passion lies. And, um, and then just how you have, how you have taken that and um, not just growing food, which is a very noble um, endeavor, right? Farmers, yes, none of us can survive without farmers. Um, They're feeding all of us, but you're even taking it a step further to really assist families that can can really have an asset. But like you said, it's locked in a vault right now. And uh, and so helping them to open that vault. And so thank you for taking the time to just educate us and tell us a little bit about what uh, what your life's been about, and then also what the Black Farmers and Agriculturalists Association's about. And uh, good luck to you as you do this. And I think that uh, I think you'll find a lot of success, and I think that the people out there will benefit greatly from what you're trying to do. Joy, we thank you for giving us an opportunity to explain our position. We appreciate you and your listeners as well. Well, thank you. Land can be a major wealth generator. Land investment can benefit generations of families. In the words of Booker T. Washington, don't permit your grievances to overshadow your opportunities. At Seasons Podcast, our purpose is to educate people about land investment with the goal of seeing 100 people who don't currently own land, 
become landowners. Our method is helping people reconnect with land through hearing other people's stories. For more information, go to our website, delta-farmland.com. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you.